Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. The most important part of God's work through the Philadelphia Church of God today is the message. There are so many lovely, inspiring aspects of God's work. Digging in Jerusalem, hosting world-acclaimed exhibits of biblical artifacts, a world-class concert series here at Armstrong Auditorium in Edmond, Oklahoma. There's the college. There's the academy here on campus. There is the church aircraft and so many more aspects of the work that are truly phenomenal. And yet the most important part is the message. Now, what is the message of God's work? Who really gave us the blueprint for the message we declare today? What better example than Jesus Christ himself? Mark 1 verses 14 and 15 show that Jesus Christ declared the good news of the coming kingdom of God. That is the true gospel message that Christ himself preached. Christ explained the solution to all individual and all world problems. And it's only possible by the kingdom of God. The ruling government of God, the family of God, established over the entire earth to enforce and uphold God's law. That's the only way we can solve our problems. Human beings have no chance to devise any other solution at all. We have failed for 6,000 years to do it our own way and to come up with some other way to world peace, to abundance and fulfillment and satisfaction and the happiness and joy we all desire. It just can't happen any other way unless God himself directly intervenes in world affairs. Matthew 24 verses 21 and 22 show us that Christ intervening will become necessary very soon. We are on the edge of nuclear annihilation and the only way to avoid it is if Jesus Christ returns and sets up God's kingdom. Christ declared that message of the coming kingdom of God 2,000 years ago. And a major tool he used to convey the truth about God's kingdom was parables. 
parables are stories. Now, parables in the Bible are not confined just to the teachings of Jesus Christ. I spoke on the radio recently about a parable by the prophet Nathan to King David, exposing David's sins. It's that story in 2 Samuel 12 about the rich man and the poor man. The rich man had a whole flock of lambs. The poor man had only one lamb that was pretty much a family member. And the rich man stole the poor man's only lamb to feed his guest instead of picking one of his many lambs. That's essentially what King David did to Uriah the Hittite by stealing Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. But storytelling is an extremely effective method for getting a point across. David was outraged when he heard that story from Nathan. He thought it was a real-life, literal example, but really it was just a method of helping David see how big his own sins were. There are plenty of other examples of parables. Ezekiel 17 verse 2 shows God commanding Ezekiel to speak a parable unto the house of Israel. So there are a lot of examples of parables in the Bible, but really the ones that are the most memorable are probably the parables of Jesus Christ. And those are the ones that talk directly about the coming kingdom of God. Parables are stories drawn from everyday life. So it's like a metaphor. It's something where each part of the story has a parallel. It's a colorful, descriptive way of describing something. And it's meant to be relatable to the audience. And yet, even though parables make the truth plain to those God allows to understand, parables also leave a way for people to not understand if God doesn't want those people to understand. So parables have this dual effect. For those God wants to understand the truth, parables make that truth plain. For those God doesn't want to understand the truth at this time, parables actually obscure the truth. This is what it says in Matthew 13, verses 10 and 11. And the disciples came and said unto Christ, Why speak you unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Christ's disciples were meant to know about God's kingdom at that time. The masses who followed Christ everywhere to hear his teachings were not yet meant to understand. They were not ready for the profound truth of God's kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean the disciples were better than anyone else. But God does have a specific time frame for helping people understand the truth. God's plan is open to all mankind, but it's just a matter of timing. Certain groups at certain times. So the parables actually 
really had very simple explanations for the disciples. But the masses did not get to hear those simple explanations. Only the disciples got some extra instruction from Christ after the parables had already been delivered. Parables sound nice, and so maybe the audience enjoyed the pleasant nature of those parables from Christ. But they didn't really come away with vital, core, spiritual understanding about God's kingdom when they heard those parables. Matthew 13, verse 13 says, this is Christ speaking, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they, seeing, see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. <laughs> now, why would God do that? Why is a vast ocean of spiritual understanding accessible to true Christians today, where we can actually understand it, our minds are open to receive it, and yet, Millions of people out there who might come into contact with God's message can enjoy it. They can agree with large parts of it. And yet there is a missing grasp of the real depth of that truth. Why is it that way that God's truth is not freely understood by all? Well, God's truth is dangerous knowledge. James 4 verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. That's James 4 verse 17. That shows the incredible magnitude of God's truth. Once we receive it, once God allows us to understand it fully, he holds us accountable for that knowledge. He expects us to take action based on that knowledge. There is a really interesting series from the Good News about the parables of Jesus. The parables of Jesus. And it says in part one the truth of God is too precious to be thrown about indiscriminately. It quotes Matthew 7, verse 6, which says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast you your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. That's Matthew 7, verse 6. Now please, do not grab the pitchfork. I am not saying. The Bible is not saying that anyone is a dog or a pig. However, <laughs> to most people, the ability to understand God's truth is not there. It's like if you did try to explain God's truth to an animal, an animal wouldn't understand. And that's exactly what God has done to most of mankind. Most of the world is cut off from God. As it says in Genesis 3, they're cut off from understanding spiritual truth at this time. And just like you wouldn't spend five hours trying to 
make a dog believe you when you talk about God's truth, it's also not worth that level of effort to a human mind that has been closed to God's truth. Now, humans are much greater than the animals. Our potential, especially, is much greater than the animals. Animals live once and they die. We live once and we die like the animals. And yet in this life, we can do so much more than the animals. We can understand so much more, except when it comes to spiritual truth, unless God works a miracle. But then we also have a chance to live again. A better second life that animals will not receive. And in that second life, the vast majority of mankind will understand God's truth and they will be given an opportunity to act on that truth and transform their lives and finally be happy. This article says Christ was merely explaining the reaction of some people to the truth of God. Many people, when exposed to the truths of God's word, will treat them with contempt and persecute those who have given the truth to them. A Christian should, therefore, use discretion in determining to whom he will explain the undiluted, stronger truths of God. So the idea here in Matthew 7, verse 6, is not that humans are dogs or pigs just because God has closed their mind to the truth. It's just that a lot of people will react with disgust or ridicule or persecution if you try to force God's truth on them. Mr. Armstrong, the late Herbert W. Armstrong, repeatedly warned, that we should not try to convert friends and relatives. It is God's job and God's job alone to call people to the truth. John 6 verse 44. Not even Jesus Christ is involved in that. God, the Father himself, selects people to open their minds to understand. Now, when we take human minds cut off from God and try to ram the truth into those minds, they will turn around and attack us. I've been bitten by a dog before. Dogs attack humans sometimes. Certain larger hogs like Razorbacks in Arkansas will make a charge at humans sometimes. So just like those animals will sometimes attack human beings, so will people whose minds are closed if you try to force them to understand God's truth when God has closed their mind. That's the only way. <laughs> that's the only way that certain humans are like the animals, just that they will attack the truth giver like an animal would attack a human sometimes. And so we are not supposed to proselytize. We are not supposed to go door to door. We are not supposed to tell random strangers in public about <laughs> the gospel of the coming kingdom of God. Jesus Christ preached to those who followed him around. 
and wanted to hear the truth. Jesus Christ preached in the synagogues on the Sabbath during a religious service to those who allowed him to do so and were there to listen. But he did not go out of his way to force anyone to hear the truth. And in fact, the parables that he spoke, dozens of them actually obscured the truth in some ways so that most people would not understand. Now, you may not have realized that the parables are actually grouped into three distinct sets. The first set is a group of 10 parables known as the Galilean parables. These were given early on in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And basically they're named the Galilean parables because Christ grew up in Nazareth. He later moved to the town of Capernaum near the sea of Galilee. So his, his time in Galilee is the reason why the first set of 10 parables of Christ is called the Galilean parables. He delivered those parables around that area. Matthew 13 shows how uh, Christ was sitting on a ship and the entire multitude of people was standing on the shore. And so Christ actually stood up on the ship and projected his powerful voice for everyone on the shore to hear him. And he delivered some excellent stories, relatable stories, parables about the kingdom of God. The first six of these 10 Galilean parables were addressed to the people and later explained in detail to the disciples. The last four of these first 10 parables were exclusively for the disciples. The masses did not hear those last four Galilean parables. Starting here in Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. This is Matthew 13. Or I guess I'll just read this from Mark 4. Mark 4 verses 3 through 8. Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. So you get the idea here, the seeds that the sower is dropping into the ground. It's explaining what's happening. So the fowls of the air came and devoured up some of the seeds and continuing here, and some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty and some 60, and some 100. So that's the parable of the sower in Mark 4, verses 3 through 8. There's also parallel accounts in the books of Matthew and Luke. 
The parable of the sower. This was very relatable to the Galilean audience. They could understand the concept of a farmer planting a field and how different seeds might have different outcomes based on how deep they were into the ground or the different elements that could affect the seeds. So there are four categories of seeds in this parable. The ones who fall by the wayside, the ones who are on stony ground, the ones that are overgrown by thorns, and the ones that are planted deep in good ground. Each of these groups of seeds represents a different kind of person who hears the word of God. There are millions of people who have heard God's word at some point in their lifetime. But every person responds somewhat differently. Maybe you listening to this have been in contact with God's church for years and you've loved to hear it, but have you taken the next step? Is there something holding you back from committing more to this way of life and reaching out and asking to have those parables explained? Remember, Christ explained to his disciples even more than he explained to the masses, even more than what you would receive in the Philadelphia Trumpet or the Royal Vision magazines or True Education or Let the Stone Speak or on the Key of David program or the Trumpet Daily or Trumpet Hour or any of God's programs or even more than you would hear or read in church books and booklets by Mr. Flurry. Extra explanation provided to those within the Philadelphia Church of God who are members of the church and not just in contact with the message. But we have to commit. That's on us. Every one of us is being called, if we're in contact with this message of the coming kingdom, broadcasting around the world through the Philadelphia Church of God today, but what are we doing with that message? Are we acting on it so we can really understand it better? And as we understand it more, are we acting on it even more? Now in this parable of the sower, the sower is sowing God's word. As it explains there in Mark 4 verse 14. So God uses one man, Mr. Gerald Flurry, to disseminate the truth. And he has plenty of ministers around him to support him, plenty of members to support him. The sower is there and he's planting seeds into human minds. And then it's up to each one of us how we respond. Everyone reacts differently to God's truth. Some are hostile, some like it, but are shallow and do not stick with it. Some like it, but when trials come along, they quit. And some become rooted in the truth and never let it go. 
That's what the parable of the sower is all about. And that's just the first of 10 Galilean parables by Jesus Christ. And we'll get into even more of those on the next episode of Behind the Work. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time 